Dose New York Knicks podcast. Andre Galliber wanted to do a quick show to talk about Obi Toppin's injury. Unfortunate injury for him. He's going to be reevaluated in two weeks. There's a broken bone in his leg. Unfortunately, appeared to land awkwardly in the Hawks game in the second quarter. Obi has not been playing well. You feel bad for the kid. I think most Knicks fans are Obi Toppin fans because of his energy because of the improvement you've seen in his game over the years and knowing that he's been blocked on the roster by Randall. And this is not Randall shade time. It's just the Knicks had Randall and didn't think they were going to keep him. And then he had that All-NBA season and carried the Knicks into the playoffs, into the, into the fourth seed. And I think the Knicks kind of, they, they screwed up. They should have drafted Halliburton in that draft. They didn't draft him because they didn't think he could shoot. Now he's one of the best shooters in the league. He came into the league as one of the best shooters in the league. And in fairness to the Knicks, the Knicks weren't the only ones that had that take on Halliburton. There were a lot of scouts. There were there were a lot of scouts around the league who didn't think Halliburton could shoot in the NBA. They all missed on Halliburton. A hard fail by the Knicks. I believe Obi Toppin is head and shoulders better than what you've seen. But Obi deserves some criticism for what you have seen from him. There are some some flaws in the way he attacks, the, the way he plays the game. There are some flaws. I think he has a decent floor game, but he does make some silly mistakes and does some silly things on the court sometimes. His mind isn't always in the right place. He needs to slow his game down. He needs to be more efficient with his opportunities. But he doesn't get many. 15 minutes a game, that's not enough for a guy like Obi Toppin. He showed at the end of last season, I don't care what anybody says about the competition and nobody was playing hard. It was nonsense. That Toronto game where he put a bunch of points on the board, They Toronto had a lot of their guys playing in that game. They may not have had everybody. Scotty Barnes is playing in that game. I don't want to hear it. He, put those, he scored those points. He is capable of of being a much better player than what you've seen. I'm not saying he's going to drop 40 on everybody, but he is much more capable than what you've seen, and he's been blocked by Randall, and he has had kind of ebbs and flows this year and being efficient in those short minutes. It seemed when his shot started to fail him, so did his energy and enthusiasm offensively. It also seemed that the Knicks needing him to rebound better took away a lot of the runouts that he had been getting. He had been getting a lot of runouts. I got him in the game. I got him enthusiastic, as as dunks typically do for NBA players. But the Knicks needed him to hang around and get more rebounds, and that kind of took away his mojo. That's not an excuse. That's a reason. He needs to be better. He needs to be a pro. He needs to be efficient with those opportunities. I said the same thing about Cam. You have to be efficient with the opportunities that are given to you, and all of that stuff, you have to grow up. You have to deal with it. And unfortunately, OB is in a little bit of a rut, and now he gets hurt. And it couldn't have been worse timing for him. It's trade season. The Knicks are going to make some moves, and now he's injured. He's not untouchable. He didn't necessarily play well the last couple of weeks. He's playing well earlier. Who knows how the Knicks feel about him right now. They never should have drafted him, unfortunately. As much as I like Obi and I'm glad he's here, they shouldn't have drafted him. Halliburton should have been drafted. Another missed draft pick by the Knicks. The Knicks, uh, one of the worst teams in the league when drafting early in the lottery. This particular front office has been pretty good with the draft picks in the mid-lottery and late lottery. But their Obi pick, they missed it. 
And as much as I believe and a lot of you believe that Obi is a lot better than what you've seen, I think that's a fact. It's still objectively true that they missed on the pick. And what you would hate to see now is you would hate to see Obi get traded while injured and never having seen what he can do with playing actually 30 minutes a game. You're seeing Derrick Rose, as much as Derrick Rose has been relatively efficient with the opportunities he's been given this year, as much as people kind of see it otherwise, he's not as sharp as he was two years ago, as you would expect. He's getting older, he's missed a whole season, but he's been decent in those opportunities because he's a pro. Obi's been up and down, Cam has been up and down. All of these guys that don't play consistent minutes, they're up and down and they need to be pros. You're being asked to do very specific things and you got to be able to do it and Obi has not been doing it the last couple weeks so you'd hate to see him traded while he was injured you're seeing his name pop up in some trade talk it would be unfortunate I think I would be a little bit more bothered by Obi Toppin getting traded without ever really getting a good opportunity than I would be quickly not to shade quickly in any way not to discredit what Quickly is doing for this team and what his potential could be. It's just that Quickly has been a consistent part of the Knicks rotation 20, 25 minutes since he came into the league. And he had an offseason last year where most of the season he did not get a fair opportunity, in fairness, in terms of minutes. But for a lot of the season, he did. And he didn't really distinguish himself. And let's let's be frank. If you're going to compare the two, Quickly's obviously been the better player for the Knicks. There's no dispute there. But he has gotten opportunity that Obi has not gotten. And that's the only reason that I have for being a little bit more bothered by, to- by, by Toppin being traded than Quickly. Because Quickly is very important to the wins and losses on this team right now which in the grand scheme of things is not really that important. What's important is roster flexibility, salary cap, talent acquisition, and quickly might be a part of that. You guys, everybody wants to keep quickly because he's good for this team right now. And looking forward, how much better is quickly going to get? I believe he's going to get better. But logistically, why do you believe that? He gets plenty of minutes. He gets plenty of minutes, and he's gotten plenty of minutes. He's gotten plenty of opportunities. Could he get more? Sure. But those minutes have been consistent. They've been consistent this year. They were consistent for a lot of the year last year. So I'm not of the belief that Quickly is the player that you're seeing right now and that he can't get better. The player he is right now is a rotational player, a very important rotation player for any team that wants to win. No questions, no doubts, no arguments. But what is his ceiling? I don't know if you legi- if you logically know what Quickly's ceiling is right now. You, Your passion for Quickly might be clouding your vision here. I'm as big of a Quickly fan as many of you are. I believe in his importance to this team. It'd be nice to see quickly be a Nick for the rest of his career. Trust me, I'm not making that argument. 
but you have quickly has been given more opportunity here in his tenure here with the Knicks than Toppin has. You have a better idea objectively what quickly is than you do Obi. Because the one time Obi got consistent minutes, he balled the F out. Go look at his game log last year when Julius Randle got hurt. He balled out. So to for three years of his career, well, two years and, and this year, he has been stuck behind Randle playing 15 minutes. So if you're concerned about giving away something that might have value in the future, when I say something, I mean a player. I shouldn't say something. A player that has value in the future, more value in the future than they have right now, that player is OB more than it is IQ. IQ's value, I believe, is what it is. You believe he can get better? I believe he can get better. But he has been on the court enough for teams to see what he is going to give you right now. And be happy with it. Because it's a lot. But that objectively appears to be very close to his ceiling as a player. You might feel like there's more there. I mean, look at Tyus Jones with Memphis. Tyus Jones can do a lot more than he's doing as a backup. But around the league, I don't think most people around the league think Tyus Jones is a starting point guard for a really championship contending team. They don't see him as that dynamic guard. They see him as a great average point guard and a great backup. And that might be quickly. That's how quickly is seen. You might think he's going to be better. I might think he's going to be better and he can get better. You might see his importance to a winning team. I see it too. But objectively, he's gotten a lot of opportunities to prove he's more than what he is. And he has not done it. So as, a, as an objective evaluation of value, you have a better idea what you have and what you're giving away if you're the Knicks and quickly than you do Obi. And that's the way I see it. That's why I'd hate to see Obi get traded, having never been given a chance, really, to play with Randall here. So when I see his name, these trade talks, I really it bothers me. So unless Obi's going in a big deal for a big superstar, and you got to throw talent in the deal, unless it's something like that, I don't want to see him as a contract filler. He was very much a contract filler in a lot of those Donovan Mitchell trades. Which, again, Nick fans are so annoying listening to them talk and have these conversations because many of you don't want quickly traded. Many of you don't want Obi traded. Many of you don't want Cam traded. But you're desperate to kill the Knicks for not making a Donovan Mitchell trade. Hold on. You don't think you can get value for these guys in separate trades? You don't want these guys traded in theory. You're not saying you don't want them traded for this thing or that thing. or Let me stop saying thing. This player or that player, the thing would be maybe a draft pick. You're quick to say you don't want, if, if you're saying you don't want the trade for a specific person or asset, that's one thing. Don't tell me that you don't want the guy traded and then criticize the Knicks for not trading all of the guys you don't want traded in one trade with a bunch of other draft picks. That's silly guys are all over the place but if you're going to trade somebody who's at the i wouldn't say the lowest point of their value but at a low value point when you believe that they're more valuable valuable than most other people do then don't make that trade 
unless it's for like a big will, we're talking about SGA or something like that. Don't make the trade. Hold on to him. Give him a chance. You you should desperately be wanting to move Randall before you move Obi. You should you should literally make Obi untouchable outside of the high end of the talent in the league that might be available. Obi should be untouchable until you get a chance to play him 30 minutes a game. You should be. Because that's how you make that draft pick a waste, is when you trade him for value beneath where he was drafted. Don't just toss him away for anything. I'm seeing trades for Kyle Kuzma, and I like Kyle Kuzma. I'm going to dig into this in a future show, whether or not that's a good trade for the Knicks. I wouldn't trade Obi Toppin for Kyle Kuzma right now. Not unless he was the main cog in the deal. He wouldn't. Be, I couldn't just make him a throw-in. Couldn't just make him a throw-in in the deal. I got to give you two draft picks and Obi Toppin for Kyle Kuzma, two first-round draft picks, unless they're one of the heavily protected ones. If that's the case, then okay, because what are the chances that Obi Toppin is going to be better than Kyle Kuzma? I can give you two heavily protected picks. Obi Toppin and a contract filler. The contracts don't line up right now. Knicks don't have a lot of contract fillers, by the way. Everybody in their roster, for the most part, is a guy they want to keep outside of Rose and Fournier and Cam. And they wouldn't necessarily work in those deals for Kuzma. But I, I'm not giving you Kuzma's value plus Obi Toppin as a, as, as a contract filler. Not doing it. Save Obi for a big trade. Don't just give him away because you're committing to Julius Randle. You've you've seen that picture. You've seen that show before. I don't think the Knicks are. I'm just saying, get Randle off this roster and give Obi a chance. He doesn't have to be the best player on your team. He doesn't have to be the second best player on your team. But let him be a starter on the team and see what he gives you. Because I've made the argument before, and every time Randall plays well, it makes you look stupid. But I've made the argument before that sometimes the Knicks are better just not having Randall on the floor because of decisions he makes on, he makes on the floor sometimes. It's a downer on the team, his lack of effort, all of that stuff. We talked about it ad nauseum. When Obi was shooting well and he was playing well overall, it was sometimes better to have Obi on the floor. It literally was better. To have Obi on the floor. As a matter of fact, Randall is just now moving into the net positive in his recent little stretch of games. So it's been better sometimes just having Obi on the floor. And then sometimes Obi is taken out for no reason and Randall's put back in the game. Some of those games the Knicks have lost. Not just because of Randall and, and just because Obi wasn't in the game, but some of those games the Knicks came back with Obi on the floor, and he wasn't the only reason, but he was on the floor. And that's what I'm trying to say. You're not looking for Obi to replace what Randall does necessarily because really the wins and losses this year are less important than the, the development of the younger players. But the Knicks are in a situation where sometimes the development of the younger players actually means more wins than losses. That is indisputable when it comes when it comes to Fournier, indisputable when it comes to Rose. Now the rest of you, rest of you are going to catch up to that, I believe. Now that McBride is in the rotation and Grimes is playing more, as long as those guys are healthy, as long as that backcourt is healthy, I believe that's going to be 
proven out in the numbers that Fournier and Rose not playing makes the Knicks a better team, not because Rose is terrible, Fournier was, but because the defense, the change in the defense is so palpable that the Knicks will become a more consistent team. So Randall oftentimes is a problem defensively. He gives you a lot of offense on a good day, but on an average day, the the way he gives offense and how inconsistent and inefficient it is on those days hurts the team. Obi is not, he's not overbearing on the offense. He sits in the corner, he's alley-oops, he's back cuts, he's transition. Him spacing the floor sometimes makes the other Knicks better players. And Randall and Obi don't play together that often, so Randall doesn't often benefit from Obi's added spacing. Randall doesn't really space the floor because he doesn't relocate off the ball. He's a statue. So even when he is behind the line, he's a statue. And when the ball finds him, he will shoot contested instead of attacking or moving the ball again. These are things that Obi doesn't do, so the offense is often smoother when he's on the floor. So he doesn't have to replace what Randall does. Against a lot of teams in the league, not all of them, because Randall is relatively inconsistent with how he scores and how efficient it is, just spacing the floor and being a ball mover, being a hustler, makes the Knicks a better team, at least least in stretches. So I'm not going off the deep end while Randall is playing well and having an okay season. And I say okay season because you can't just look at the numbers because his numbers are literally up and down every day from the outside. And his lack, his his being lights out in Detroit and then coming against the Bucks and and can't hit the side, the broad side of a barn, can't have that. Because he's too dependent on the outside shot. He needs to go to the paint. The more he does that, the more I'm going to be like, "Mm, maybe don't trade him. If he does that, if he goes to the basket more, He takes open threes instead of contested threes, and he attacks closeouts. Add that with just a little bit of defensive effort and rotation. Don't trade him. Because then he's a bargain at $23 million, right? I think he's right around $23 million a year right now. Then he's a bargain. You know why he's not a bargain? You know why he's a negative asset right now? Because he doesn't do anything every night well. He doesn't have anything to fall back on. Say, okay, this my shot's off. Let me do this instead. No, he'll just keep shooting that nonsense. Take away the contested shots, relocate off the ball, attack closeouts, and go to the basket more when the ball finds you. And offensively, you would have way less issue with Julius Randle. And he will, just like that, be worth every penny. Because there aren't a ton of players in the league that can average what Julius averages. His numbers look good right now. But as all Nick fans know, they're streaky numbers and they're not there every night. And defensively, he gets lazy. If he starts to play better defense, rotates, contests, boxes out more often, chases down, not not do things like switch on to Donovan Mitchell and then forget you're on him and he hits a corner three, not do stuff like that, he will be worth every penny of that money. I think Julius Randle in a day In one day, just with different decision-making, could be worth every penny the Knicks have spent on him and and will spend on him. 
and probably shouldn't give him away. Now, what that says for Obi, I don't know. But that's not what's going to happen because it hasn't happened yet. So, you know, you can cross your fingers on it, but Julius is not going to shoot like this from three every night. And you know that, and it hurts his team when he doesn't. Well, now that Obi's out, what you are going to see is you're going to see, I think, R.J. Barrett play a lot of backup power forward. I think that's, that is a plus for the Knicks against a good bit of teams in the league. Not all of them. I think it'll open up the offense in that second unit a little bit. I think it'll make R.J. a little bit better in transition, in secondary transition, having R.J. another ball handler who attacks the rim in that second unit, whereas Obi doesn't do that. I think there are only a handful of teams around the league that will take advantage of RJ in their second unit with a big power forward. I think there's only a handful of teams. I do think he might run into some trouble trying to bully himself into the paint against a backup power forward. I think that might be an issue. But too many people stand around in that second unit. Way too many. I blame that on Thibodeau. I don't like the fact that they run actions where people touch the ball and don't even look at the basket, don't even make reads. They're just arbitrary actions. I hate that. That's terrible. That's objectively terrible. Terrible offense. No read and react at all. Just sitting there handing the ball off to each other without any reads. It's terrible. And too many people do that in the half-court offense, especially in the second unit, because you don't have go-to guys you have guys who feel like you know they have to get their shots from ball movement and body movement which is fine in general but the second unit needs more guys who know how to get their own shot they need Grimes when he's with the second unit to start looking for his own shot quickly obviously already does but doesn't find it very often Rose was that guy And I made mention in the last show about how the second unit looked like a rudderless ship a little bit without Rose to be the Rose being the primary ball handler attacking the rim and creating a little bit of havoc for defenses because they can't really stop them. And I think it opens up things for other guys, even if it doesn't open it up for them directly, just him being in attack mode opens things up for other guys and quickly isn't always in attack mode. And they'll start that screen, 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 looking for a shot, looking for a shot, and not find it. And it leads to doldrums. Having RJ play a little bit more with that second unit as a backup power forward adds someone who is going to look at the rim every time he touches the ball. Which is not a good thing in general, but there are some benefits to him doing that with the second unit. He doesn't need to be as selfish as he, as he tends to be. When he drives, he only looks at the basket most of the time. doesn't look to create for other people. But having someone who's looking at the rim in that second unit might gain some advantages in the half court. The second unit is very good in transition and second, secondary transition. They're not great in the half court. Having RJ at the back of power forward position can help them, I think, a little bit in the half court. He plays with the second unit now as it is for a stretch of time when Randall sits. But it's at the small forward position. It's hit or miss with him. He's taking opportunities away 
from a Cam, from a Grimes, from from a Quickly while he's at the small forward position. The power forward position, I think it opens up things a little bit for those other perimeter players. That's my take on it. And quiet is kept. I think it might mean that Cam comes back into the rotation. Unless there's something going on in that locker room with Cam and the coaching staff in the front office that we don't know about, Cam probably enters the rotation again with no Obi Toppin. I don't see it being Rose. I think that's silly if it's Rose. I don't see it being Jericho Sims because having two non-shooting centers on the floor, and I understand that Hartenstein is a shooting center. He just doesn't get a chance to shoot. He probably won't get a chance to shoot with Jericho Sims on the floor. It would be an interesting lineup to have Jericho Sims and Hartenstein play together. I, I guess it's matchup dependent. And maybe Hartenstein spends a little bit more time in the corner spreading the floor. I just don't know if that's the offensive lineman lineup you want to go to when you might have a chance to put slow-ass R.J. Barrett in the game at a position where he might have a quickness advantage, finally. But because his game is mostly bullying guys into the paint, it might hurt on the, hurt on the other end. But I think having another ball handle on the floor, somebody who whose terrible defense may not be as much of a detriment in the second unit than, or I should, I should say, at the back of power forward spot as he would be playing small forward. Having to rotate to quicker players more cons- less consistently at the back of power forward spot might hide some of his defensive deficiencies that hurt the team and lead to more makes, lead to having to face more half-court defenses because they're scoring every time. I think there's a chance that him playing back up power forward gets him into a little bit of a flow and allows the second unit to flow better offensively because they have more spacing. RJ likes to stand in the corner a lot. RJ likes to relocate a lot. And RJ likes to attack closeouts, which will open things up in that second unit. Whereas when he plays a small forward, he's really just kind of standing in the way of other guys who can do that. When Obi's on the floor, he's really just a lob threat and a corner shooter at the power forward position. Now RJ is a little bit more dynamic offensively there. Keeps the floor open, keeps the ball moving. You have Grimes and possibly Cam with a little bit more space to operate, a little bit more time. Keeps guys at their natural positions instead of Grimes having to to play more small forward for longer periods of time because RJ is getting his minutes at backup power forward instead of clogging up the small forward spot, which would be a cam, which would be a Grimes in, in a small ball, ball lineup. RJ, because he plays so many minutes, he blocks those guys at the positions they play best, and he doesn't. And they play they play it well on both sides of the floor. Whereas RJ is really on one side of the floor and he doesn't always play well at that one side. Now RJ is going to get, I'm going to guess if he plays back up power forward, I'm going to guess he might get an extra eight to 10 minutes a game. Not an extra eight to 10 minutes a game, but eight to 10 minutes a game at the backup power forward position, which means that other guys can play their natural positions in 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 an open free flowing offense where you have four ball handlers on the floor. 
you haven't seen that. You really haven't seen that from the Knicks. You haven't seen a lineup like that in years. And again, like I said, if you don't see Cam enter that lineup, you know there's something more going on in that locker room. I'm pretty sure that Cam is guaranteed to get traded. There's interest in him from a few teams, the Lakers specifically. So I'm pretty sure he's traded, but I think inserting Cam back into the rotation is the natural move. So if you don't see it, it's weird. And as much as you guys hate Tibbs and as much as I have issue with Tibbs, I'm usually, I usually see the logic in his rotations pretty often. Now, why he's going nine minutes to ten man, you can get into all of that. In his tenure here, I've seen the logic in why this guy plays and why this guy doesn't play. I never see the logic in why RJ and Julius are given minutes when they're not playing well. But uh, pretty much 90% of the time, like, I get why that guy's playing. I get why you're playing this guy these minutes and this guy's in rotation, this guy isn't. I pretty much get it. I won't get it if Cam is not inserted back into the rotation and RJ isn't moved to back up power forward. I won't get it at all. Unless you see a lineup with Jericho Sims offensively and Hartenstein standing in the corner and Jericho being the primary center, unless you see that offense, I don't see how it even makes any sense. You're going to have two bigs, and Jericho can guard the power forward, but having two guys who aren't shooting, understand that Hartenstein can shoot, but he's not shooting well and he's not getting a shot very often. So to have him on the floor with, with Jericho as the standard lineup, not just situational over the next six weeks, I think that's shade to Cam. I think that's clearly there's something going on there. For somebody who inserted Cam in their starting lineup to begin the season, not to put him right back in the rotation with this injury, I think that's silly. I also think it's silly to I don't know how it's gonna actually line up. If Cam and RJ are playing at the same time, it's you know, it's it's really semantics to say who's the backup power forward and who's the small forward. I think that's semantics. That's silly to even get into it. It's just about defensive matchups. But that that's the natural move. And I think it's yet another opportunity for Cam to show he's not a goofball when he's playing on offense and do something. And it may build his trade value or it may it may keep him off the trade block. Who knows? But it's another opportunity for him to actually become half of what half of you think he is. But I think it's a good opportunity for the Knicks. I'm not saying the Knicks are better without Obi Toppin. I do think this might accentuate what R.J. Barrett does and minimizes what he doesn't do, which is guard anyone. And he plays too many minutes at small forward for someone who doesn't guard anyone. I think you can hide him a little bit at back of power forward where a third of his minutes might come without the negatives that he offers defensively and increases the defensive potential with the rest of the lineup with an addition of Cam back in the lineup and obviously Grimes and McBride and quickly playing their normal minutes. So anyway, I wanted to pop on and talk about that. That's what I see. That's what I'm looking forward to in this Charlotte game. The Knicks have to win this game. They have to. Now that the kids are playing, now that McBride's in the lineup, now that you're seeing Grimes find his flow, they need to win games like Charlotte. When you have defensive players on the floor, that's what breeds consistency. They're not going to beat the teams where they have a talent deficit 
too much of a talent deficit at the higher end with the higher end talents. Obviously, you know, you know, you know the superstars. They're not going to beat those teams consistently, but they'll, but they'll beat or they should beat teams like Charlotte because defense breeds consistency. And this is going to be an even better defensive lineup now that Cam gets some more minutes and RJ gets dropped down to a position with slower players because he's slow and heavy. McBride, Grimes, quickly. Cam, a defensive lineup for large stretches of the game against inconsistent offensive teams that don't play a ton of defense means should mean wins. And if they lose those games, you start looking at what kind of offensive, offensive sets you're running. What defensive matchups did you go to? What defensive adjustments did you go to? Now that the defensive players are playing, the pressure is put even more on Tom to make the right calls because he was getting let down by bad defense. And some of those bad defensive players are still playing. Don't get me wrong. But by adding McBride, Grimes playing more minutes, and now Cam maybe being inserted into Obi's minutes, you're getting good defensive play from a lot of guys, and you've got to win these games. And I know some of you don't care if they win or lose, but you care about the players, right? So what are you, you're rooting for McBride to miss his shots? You're rooting for Cam to dribble off his foot? What are you rooting for? You like these young players on your team. You want them to play. They're playing, so you don't want them to win, but you want them to play, so you want them to play terribly? It's, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up. I understand you want one manana. I, I get it. But you want these young players to play, and what I'm telling you is I think these young players or this combination of young players, especially with McBride playing and Grimes playing big minutes, will lead to wins. It's not it's – not, giving the season up is actually giving the season a chance. And all they need is RJ and Randall to just give a little effort defensively and just be a little smarter with their shot taking. The shot making is one thing, but the shot taking has to continue to be better. And this team is going to win by default. But anyway, looking forward to a Charlotte Hornets game of all things tonight. Cause I, I do want to see these young players play. I do like seeing the hustle and the defense from these guys. It's fun to watch, even if you want them to lose all of the games. And you know what? You know who's another option if there's shade going on with Cam Reddish or they don't want to put him on a court because they got him in trade discussions is uh, Svi Mikhailuk. Definitely a defensive L from what I could tell. But in terms of getting a lights-out shooter on the court, this is a guy who I think he's only missed one three on the season. Small sample size, obviously, but he's been lights-out. It might be an opportunity to get a lights-out shooter on the court, and we'll see what he's like defensively at a position that, you know, hey, you're not going to get attacked incessantly more than likely at the backup power forward position. And if that's the case, then you know you throw somebody else in there. But I can see I can see a lineup maybe working with him in it. But why would you put him in there and not Cam? So it's obvious Cam shade if it's him. But it's an option and an opportunity to get a big time shooter on the floor. A guy you haven't really gotten a chance to see 
in any meaningful minutes. Fournier, you know, no thank you. Listen, if you were watching when Fournier was playing, and if you've been listening to the show from the beginning, you know I understood the need for Fournier earlier in the year, but his energy just wasn't there. Effort wasn't there. He just looked slow and out of shape, and you can't have too many guys out there look like that. That could be speed too, but he hasn't gotten a chance to play. But just to make the point, if you see him make an appearance, that's obvious cam shade. Something to look forward to, something to try out. He's a young player. I know Nick fans love seeing young players play, right? So I think that's something else is out there. Another thing to look forward to tonight. And trade season is upon us. Some of these trades actually look like decent moves for the team moving forward. I'm excited for, for some moves to be made. Logjam on the roster. Salary cap relief. Looking forward to it. But I'll be here. Don't forget to check out sportsethos.com. Check out at sportsethos on Twitter, at ethosnicks. Until next time.